There's got to be an explanation to all these UFO sightings, right? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. Yes, yes. Welcome in to the Tim McKernan Show here on the Inside STL Podcast Network from the HomeLoanExpert.com studios. Ladies and gentlemen, our guest today presented by Mark Hanna of Evergreen Wealth Strategies is one I have been looking forward to in general. Even when the Blues were a non-Stanley Cup champion team. But the fact that we have him in the HomeLoanExpert.com studios today for you uh, and the Blues have won the Stanley Cup makes it all the better. Um, guy, we, we've kind of uh, had fun with, is what the way I'll say it, because I don't want to say make fun of Gangster Pete, but had fun with Gangster Pete, getting emotional during some of these Blues interviews since they've won the Stanley Cup. Never would have thought he would have gotten emotional during the Cam Jansen Reed Lowe one. Um, I guess I can see a little bit when you hear the head coach, Craig Berube, our guest last week, talking about some things, how it could get you emotional if you're getting emotional during Cam Jansen and Reed Lowe. However, on this one, considering our guest, Bobby Plager, gets emotional, uh, I, I think it was twice, Pete. Was it was maybe maybe three times? I don't know. Either way, I felt like I, I noticed it. Well, I mean, he apologized. He caught himself a couple times. He was tearing up. Uh, this is... This is, uh, this is, this is, this is one I would settle in for and, uh, maybe be alone because there's a chance that you might find yourself getting teary as, uh, as I did. And I would, Pete, I would assume confirm with a, that I would imagine if you're crying during Cam Jansen and Reed Lowe that this had to get you as well. Yeah, it got me a little yeah. bit. And especially, it, especially when we talked about his brother. Yeah. I mean, there's so many different parts of this. I just, you know. I was, it was, it was, an, this one was, this one was an honor because this is the one that I've wanted because when I was thinking about the Blues making their run, even back to the Dallas series, so the second run, I'm thinking about Bobby Plager because that's when Jeremy Rutherford's article came out about how he watched games or basically how he can't watch games because he's so nervous. It's the best. And uh, I think my, there'll be a part, I think that will be your favorite, and I'll talk about it on the other end, and we'll see if we're on the same page. Uh, I'll ask you too, Pete, because I'll see if it stands out to you, but there was a part where I'm just like, oh, my God. Uh, so just enjoy it. I mean, it, this is this is, this is is where it's like if they didn't even pay me to do this, and somebody said, hey, you know, now you're, now you're in, I don't even know what the hell else I would do. Now you're a professional golfer because you're a 10 handicap. Uh, but, hey, we'd like you to do this interview. I would come in and I'd do it for free because this was an honor and a privilege to sit with Bobby Plager. So if you are a fan of what we do on this podcast, please subscribe. Please leave a positive review on iTunes, wherever you may podcast. And please support our sponsors, thehomeloanexpert.com, Ryan Kelly, Mark Hanna, our guest presenting sponsor at Evergreen Wealth Strategies. He's online at evergreenstl.com. James Carlton of the Carlton State Farm Insurance Agency in Webster Groves, 314-961-4800. Design Air Heating and Cooling online at designairservice.com. And big blues fans, Johnny Landoff Chevrolet. Johnny Landoff Chevrolet Chevy Find New Roads there at Highway 270 in the Washington Elizabeth Exit. Online at landoff.com. Got my car from Landoff Chevrolet, and we recommend 
uh, that you get yours there as well. They're huge blues fans. I know they love Bobby Plager. And ladies and gentlemen, here is Bobby Plager's story with the blues and his experience with the team winning the Stanley Cup on the Tim McKernan Show. Bobby, thanks so much for coming in. Well, it's great. It's great to be around. This is the time of the year, and this is a year to uh, be out in the public. It's uh, it's sort of what I've been waiting for for years, and uh, this year is uh, four things I've never had to say this year. Wait till next year. <laughs> How great has it been? How great has it been? I mean, this community right now is owned by the St. Louis Blues. Well, it's great. You know, at one time there, I would love to win the Stanley Cup. I would love this year. You know, you're sort of going, aye, aye. But as I get a little older and some of the fans, my generation, and to go out and see how great has it been, it's been great for me, great for the city, but for some of the St. Louis Blues fans that have been loyal fans for 40, 45 years, uh, to see them and tears in their eyes, uh, we finally got the Stanley Cup and we finally got a parade. So uh, it's been great for everybody, but this city, what has happened... uh, it's hard to believe. You're the guy that I thought of throughout this whole ride. Um, Jeremy Rutherford of The Athletic did a great story profiling you and your passion, talking to your daughter and so many people around the organization about your love for the organization. And that gave people perspective who may not have been aware of your passion for the St. Louis Blues. So let's start at the beginning. When you became a St. Louis Blue, at the very beginning of the organization, tell me about what it was like then, what your emotions were when you got sent to St. Well, coming to St. Louis, you know, uh, we were all Canadians. In fact, people might not realize, but the first year of the St. Louis Blues, uh, there was an expansion, went from six teams to 12 teams, that uh, every player except for one in the 12 teams were all Canadians. So it was, uh, you know, it was a dream of a Canadian as a kid growing up was to play hockey and maybe play in the NHL. That was your dream. And it was a little tough when there was six teams uh, playing and they dressed less players. That's 110 players that ever got to play. So uh, coming to St. Louis uh, with the expansion, uh, people asked, what, you know, what was a great memory you have? Well, probably one of the best memories from that first year was the first game we played is when you stood out there for the national anthem and you looked down. We were playing Minnesota and you didn't realize it at the time. And then when you looked down at Minnesota, the players there, Every player out there was living their dream. They were getting to play in the National Hockey League. And I'd played against a lot of them in the minor leagues. So we were living our dream. So you've seen the smile on the face of those players down there. So, uh, I mean, right there, it started right then. We're playing in the National Hockey League. We're living our dream. And, you know, with the team that we had in there that was put together, uh, we were mostly all Montreal Canadian players uh, that come in here. With Scotty Bowman was Montreal. And uh, you look at our lineup. Well, it was, it was then it started, the Blue Note. We learned very fast what the Blue Note meant by players from Dickie Moore and Doug Harvey and guys that in there, the Montreal Canadiens, what that crest meant in Montreal. <clears throat> we learned very fast that that Blue Note, you respect it, that's your life, and it never hits the ground. Uh, we were there the one day, my brother and I, when one of the players uh, took a sweater off and threw it, and it went on the ground, and it was one second two seconds later that you get up and that dickie moore they held that guy by the throat and you learned that that blue note that sweater that note never hits the ground and to this day i don't think that that it's been passed on so i mean you just come in here the love with the st louis blues and the city the way we were accepted because of the solomons 
uh, the first few years, it was one big family. So St. Louis and uh, the hockey team, we were just, uh, it was one family. It was their team. You played for the fans. From the beginning, the fans were, were on board. From the beginning. Oh, they come in here, the fans, they dressed up for the games. Yeah, they that's come my in dad here, said. People come in all dressed uh, up. Suits and ties. Yeah. And uh, then they started the singing. And uh, in those days, uh, every the seats that were sold, they were season ticket holders. So you knew every person that sat in those seats. Because for, for years, it was the same people sitting there. So you went on the ice, you stood for the national anthem, you looked over, you waved at some of the people. You'd seen them there for years. And when you talk to them, it was, uh, we had a good game the other night, or we weren't too good, or we got robbed, but it was always we, we. So it was the fans. It was their team. It was our, we were a family. So you guys go to the Stanley Cup final the first three years. Obviously, it's a different <clears throat> world then, because all of the six expansion teams were in a conference against the original six. <laughs> when you guys were lined up against the Canadiens, the first two, You're right. and then the Bruins in, in 70, was the mindset, oh, this is kind of a, you know, we realize we're monster underdogs, or what was the the perspective of, of, of you guys on the team? Well, see, that's something you learn there, too. I mean, we looked over Montreal Canadiens. We're the greatest hockey team. They'd won about five Stanley Cups, maybe in a row or something. And, and as kids, you're growing up, and as Montreal, you looked up. And so to look across the ice at some of those players uh, growing up as a, a young kid, uh, those were your heroes. But in our mindset was we looked, and again— uh, through the experience, we had the Montreal with Dickie Moore there, John Keitel, but uh, we had Glenn, Glenn Hall in goal, uh, Jimmy Roberts. I mean, we had players in our team that had won. Uh, Doug Harvey, six or seven Stanley Cup rings. Uh, John Keitel, but six or seven rings. Dickie Moore. So we had the experience there, and we were taught and we believed that we could win. We go out there, you just don't play that guy. You play your best, and you can win the game. Uh, and that's what we did. We had great goaltending. And you know how good goaltending, how valuable yeah. that is. We've seen it this year. You better believe it. So Glenn Hall gave us a chance to uh, win uh, a lot of games. He won games himself, but he gave us a chance to go out there and win games. So because of him, we went to the finals. And first year in Montreal, we lost four straight to them. And every game was by one goal. Two of the games were in overtime. And even you know, one of the overtimes, we hit the goal post. And uh, you know, maybe we could have won. And we believed we could have won till... Uh, you know, they put out the highlight movie at the end of the Stanley Cup Finals. And we sat at Mr. Solomon's house and watched the uh, movie of the finals, the Stanley Cup against Montreal. And after it was all over, I looked at my brother Bark and I said, uh, we weren't that good. <laughs> Glenn Hall was great. And, and we lost four straight. And how good was Glenn Hall? He was the MVP of the series. So, uh, but we still, we believe we could win. And I think Glenn Hall summed it all up uh, at the end when uh, we lost four straight. It's just, hey, fellas, be proud. We're so proud of what we did. And to get there, I mean, it was what a thrill to be there. Another part of your dream was to be in the Stanley Cup. But Glenn Hall said, uh, hey, fellas, that team over there, the Montreal Canadiens, they won it, but they should be embarrassed because they only beat us by one goal every game. So they should be embarrassed that they couldn't beat an expansion team by more. <laughs> what was it like playing with your brother? You know, I'd never played. Growing up as a kid, we never got to play together. Uh, I was always younger than him. Uh, I got to play against him for years. And <clears throat> and because of the way we played, uh, when I was on my team, I was taking care of my players, and he would take care of his. So uh, we had... Uh, we battled many times. We went out there. We were brothers, but when you get on the ice, 
I mean, we had one of the biggest fights in Canada in junior hockey. We fought on the ice. We you guys the, would fight? Oh, yes, definitely. We fought on the ice. We got in the penalty box. We continued the fight in the penalty box. We got thrown out. We went at it again. We went in the runway and down by the dressing room. So that fight, uh, I was playing junior in Guelph, Ontario, and uh, Bark was playing for the Peterborough Peets. And it's funny, at the time, uh, Barkley's coach in Peterborough was Scotty Bowman. And my coach in Guelph was Emil Francis. Oh, my gosh. And after the game, uh, and it was in Peterborough, after the game, Emil Francis phoned home, phoned to my dad back home, and he said, uh, my dad's name was Gus. He said, Gus, I just want to let you know you're going to hear about it, you're going to read about it, but the boys had probably one of the biggest fights here tonight. Uh, they went at it pretty good on the ice, in the penalty box, in the runway, at the dressing room, but uh, you're going to read about it. So I just thought I'd phone ahead and let you know. And my dad, uh, he says, the boys had a fight. He says, yeah. He says, well, come up here in the summertime and watch them. And that's nothing new for him. (laughs) And then he said, "Uh, did any of them go down? And Mr. Francis, oh, no, nobody went down. Nobody got hurt. Nobody nobody hit the ice. And my dad says, well, then you better send a scout up here. He says, I got another one sitting here in the house there. He says, they'll come down there and kick the crap out of both of them, which was my brother, Billy. (laughs) But... Again, to play with my brother, again, it was, uh, first of all, it was one less guy to have to fight in the league. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, we we were brothers in there, but we came, we became so close when we were in here as teammates and brothers. And, uh, and my brother was great. He was the best. And I always credit him. Uh, you wanted to be as good as your brother, maybe better. So he led the way. And you followed in his footsteps and tried to be as good as him and maybe better. But... Uh, was never better, but uh, there was nobody gave more and worked harder and uh, than my brother Bark. When the Blues retired your number, I thought it was one of the the most beautiful gestures the organization could make to have your brother's number come down and then join yours as it ascends to the rafters of the the Enterprise Center. What did that moment mean to you? Well, you know, there was maybe six people, eight people knew that that was going to happen. Uh, Mike Caruso and uh, a few of them got together and uh, and they wouldn't tell anybody. Uh, Tom Stillman didn't even know, the owner of the hockey team. None of the uh, alumni. Nope, it was about eight players or eight people that were around there. And, uh, you know, what did it mean? I mean, when I was going on the ice, I had asked that uh, my family be out there with me when they raised my number. And I wanted Barkley's wife, whose family still lives here. I wanted Barkley's wife on the ice with me. And I wanted his four kids, not their wives and kids, just Helen, Barkley's wife, and Bark's four kids. Because when Bark's number went up, some of them were young, and it was not a big ceremony then, but I wanted them out there to be part of mine. So when you're standing there and your number does go up, I got my grandchildren out there with me and my daughter and my son. And... uh you're watching that go up and you get tears in your eyes because it's something very special. And it gets halfway up and it stops and you're waiting and waiting. And my grandson beside me, he calls me coach. He goes, coach, what happened? Did it break? Coach. And I go, oh, I, you know, I don't know. I says, well, maybe they're going to keep it halfway up there for the game. I don't know. And then, I mean, even the people that are sitting there and it's, uh, then it goes up and there's a spotlight goes on number eight and a little... All of a sudden, it starts to come down very slow. And as it was coming down, people started to realize what was going on and tears were coming. I, I think everybody was there I've talked to uh, had tears in their eyes in. And, and the song was by the brothers. 
and it stops right by mine, uh, number five and number eight, and waits for a few seconds, and then we started to go up together. And that was, uh, it, it was something that was very special, and uh, the way it was, and uh, everybody that was there, they talked about how they got tears in their eyes, and uh, we played the Toronto Maple Police that night, and, you know, my speech and everything, you have a time limit out there, but I think I went a little over. I went about uh, 20 minutes over. I was still going. But uh, it was nothing. I could see them you know, speed it up, speed it up. But at Hockey Night in Canada, we all know Don Cherry. And Don Cherry is Don Cherry, what he is in Canada. Every mm-hmm. person that has a TV set that watches Don Cherry. So, uh, and it was so nice what he said when it was uh, over. Don Cherry said, uh, you know, this, and the game was Hockey Night in Canada, too. That was one of the greatest things there, too, because being a Canadian mm-hmm. and growing up in Hockey Night Can- Canada, you know, everybody's watching it. And maybe that's why I went a little extra because I wanted <laughs> to make sure it was on. But when Don Cherry said that uh, whoever did that, whoever thought of that I, in St. Louis, uh, he saw many, many sweaters, many numbers being retired. And uh, that was probably one of the greatest he'd seen. So it was perfect. It was special. It yeah. was perfect. And that's you know I'm so close to my brother to have something like that. I, I'm tear up right now if you can see their tears are coming there. It's, on, on, it's it, special. That's understandable. I thought that, but I think what they did there, and I know that Mike Caruso's one of the people, if not the person, who came up with it, and then the few people who were aware of it. What I think goes on with the Blues that you're aware of, but maybe now the public in St. Louis and around the league is aware of. There's something different about the Blues. Um, and I don't know what the right word, a family is a word, but I think it gets overused, but I think there's a family element to it. I think almost everybody associated with the game of hockey is usually just a great guy. Kelly Chase sat in the studio and did an interview with me and he goes, our game, for whatever reason, has a way of rooting out the assholes, you know, Mm -hmm. whether you're trained at a young age to stop being an asshole, or if you're just an asshole, you're not going to play one or the other. And so it's a culture that makes people really buy in that you guys who are wearing that sweater and wearing that blue note care just as much the people who have spent their money to sit in the stands and watch you play. And I don't know if that goes on in sports all over right now. Well, I don't know if it does in sports. I see it's pretty good. But it, again, it's something that uh, in St. Louis, those first years you went in here and because of the fans and uh, you, you were so close to the fans. And uh, I don't think we've ever turned down signing an autograph. And the people appreciate. They talk about the hockey players, how great they are. They'll take time. They'll do it. Well, you want to be. You don't want that to change. Uh, I know. We come in here. We get young players. If they walk by and they don't sign an autograph, it's like Kelly Chase. So I'll tell you, hey, buddy, get over here. You sign. You sign for the. You take your time to sign. These are the people that come in here. So uh, again, the Solomons that made us. It, it is like a family and all that, and about rooting out. Uh, the players, mm-hmm. and if they don't, yeah. they, they will be told, or something will happen. I mean, game was changed a little; was a little different in those days. You had to practice against uh, certain guys, and you would go out there, and so and so is a yeah, they could correct the wrong out there, a hole. So at, pra- <laughs> at practice like this here, and the guys learn. Well, hey, you don't want to do this in the game, or you don't want to do this. We'll see at the next practice. <laughs> so you learned very, you learned very fast then. But no, and. And the St. Louis Blues, because of the alumni that's in here and the time that we spent, and I think the organization, the things that we do for the fans and go out with the fans, uh, I mean, it showed in the parade. I mean, we can go back, uh, you know, my dream, and I said, I always wanted a parade. Tell us, I need a parade. I want a parade. And I'd always say, uh, when we have our parade in hockey, 
we ever get one. I've been here for the baseball, about four of them. I've been here since 67, and I've been to the parades and the football. And I, in fact, I told him Petro started the parade uh, this year. How, you know, the parades, I said, down here, they're great. I've been there. You go by, the players go by, they wave at you, and you're yelling and screaming, they wave. And it's one minute, one car's by, and the other. I said, when you get that trophy, that thing, I says, jump out of the car, run by. I says, the fans who are part of it, the people, will be something they'll remember the rest of their life. They touched the Stanley Cup, or they did. I mean, the fans, how good, it, and what they've done for us, let them be a part of it and touch. Little did I know the way our players got out there, and they took that Stanley Cup, and they put babies in it. They took pictures. <laughs> they had it here. They put champagne on people. They throw a fence beer. They took motorbikes there. And, uh, I mean, they and this city and that parade, they still talk about the, what the players did. Mind you, they had a few beer <laughs> and uh, a few drinks, which they better have because if they had been around for the two months the last two months that we played, that what these players went through and uh, to stay in shape and the conditioning and the pressure yeah. to get out there. And boy, what yeah. a, and I was so happy for the guys that to parade, see them. Bobby, I mean, I expected it to be big, but I think it superseded a lot of people's expectations. It was huge. And I've been lucky enough. I don't really remember the 82 World Series. Uh, I was five then. I just turned six. I do remember 06 and 11. This was just at another, this was at another oh, level. And oh, I was yeah. at the Rams thing in 99, but this was at another level. I think St. Louis, a lot of St. Louisans identify with the St. Louis Blues as the people. And it felt like we had finally, we had overcome this big mountain that many said would never happen. And it was a great relief and celebration of that accomplishment. Well, uh, that's what it was. Again, I get back to what I was saying earlier. I always said, well, it'll be one of the biggest parades yeah. that we have because there's so many hockey fans here that have been waiting and the new fans. And I said, it will be me. But when I got on that parade and we started, I never, ever thought this big and what went on and up in the buildings and, and because the car stopped, I mean, you're stopped there and I have Holly in front of me and myself and uh, you're stopped for minutes and it's the chance, Bobby, Bobby, you know, and I got my family with me and you get tears for me and then you look over at my grandson and my granddaughter and my, my daughter was into it more than anybody else. She had her beer going and she was, woo, she was, <laughs> I mean, for her too. And what she went through in the playoffs, as nervous as I get uh, and as superstitious as I am, she's the same way. And uh, what a relief. And the parade, people don't understand that parade, the people are out there. Then you go down to the rally and nobody from the parade can get into the rally because yeah. it, it's packed yeah. when you come in there with that. I mean, just, again, you sat at the rally. We got there early, and they had to make the announcement that uh, it'll be a few more minutes. They spotted the last car coming into the end <laughs> because the players, it's 20, you know, 20 minutes. And uh, when we have the next one, there's going to be a big problem then because all those people that were at that parade that were, 20 rows back, 100 rows back, or sitting up in those buildings because the way the players uh, interacted with the people, letting them touch it, letting them drink out of the Stanley Cup, high-fiving them, taking pictures. I, people will be camped out for days to get the front row because they want to be the ones touching the cup and do something like that. So, But it built up. 
I mean, you know yourself, we started oh, off yeah. from the last place we talk out, and then teams started to play better. Well, maybe we can get in the playoffs, and then we're getting in the playoffs. And at one time, we were in first place. It was so close, and then we met. But it, the buildup to get there, and then the fans getting involved, and then to get in the playoffs, well, maybe this year. And, you know, the new coach and the goaltender and the way the team was – well, that's what happened. This city it just kept building and building, and we kept winning the series. And, you know, they were six games and seven games. It was no yeah. four games or five games, and it went, and the overtime games. So the city, and even for us, it just built so much. And, you could, you know, you hold your breath every game. And then uh, when it happened, and I think even the city, even I, myself, I was in Boston. I'm down on the bench. When it's over, you get on the ice to celebrate, and you're running on the ice, and, I mean, it's your dream, but you're going, it's over. It's on, you're looking around. You know, we did win. I mean, we are the best. We are the, uh, to sink in and the celebrations. It's it's something I've dreamed of and it's something I've wanted. And, uh, you know, I always used to say we were there three times. And my saying was, well, if you don't win the Stanley Cups, be the team that loses it because you're the second best then. But we're the uh, we're the best right now. Your daughter is quoted in the article I, I started at the uh, at the beginning of our conversation, and uh, talking about how badly uh, you wanted you wanted to see this. She said it's all he wants. I mean, honestly, thinking about that moment when the buzzer goes off and the Blues actually win the cup. Now this was done in April, by the way, so the Blues had not won the cup. I just start crying. There is nothing more in life he wants right now. He's 76. He's been around over 50 years, and he needs a cup. Players, it has to happen. Ryan Kelly's the home loan expert, and he is the sponsor of our studios here on the Tim McKernan Show. Without him, we don't have a podcast, so make sure you're supporting our sponsor, Ryan Kelly, thehomeloanexpert.com. And with interest rates dropping and this being home buying season, this is a prime time to get in and get yourself a great rate and lock in. Or if you want to refinance, now's the time to do so. Ryan Kelly's the person to do it with. He is online at thehomeloanexpert.com. Ryan Kelly, the studio sponsor of this program. Ryan Kelly, thehomeloanexpert.com. Is that how you felt, that you needed to see this thing happen? Well, I think what we said earlier was I, I, you know, I would love this. I would love this. And then it's my family. You know, I thought of me, but it was not, it's, me, but I'm thinking my family, and that's what I said. Uh, again, as happy as I was, and even right now, is to go out to be with the people. Uh, the souvenir shop, I'm down at the rink all the time. Now, and you walk in this, and it's packed. But I walk in there, and it takes 20 minutes. You pose for pictures, you sign things, but you get the older ones that I've been a season ticket for uh, from day one. I've been here since 1970. And they got tears, and they're trying. There's yeah. tears in their eyes. And then you hear, uh, you know, so-and-so, I wish so-and-so was here. You know, he passed away a year ago, and somebody else did. And uh, Bernie and I, just not too far from here, off Bop Robed, we went here earlier in the year to uh, a fan that was very sick that was a season ticket holder from day one. And his kids asked if Bernie and I would come in there. He, was, he had cancer not long. But we sat there, Bernie and I, and he told us stories from our first years, uh, me from the first years, Bernie from later on that he remembered. And one of the things that he talked about then was, you know, he doesn't know how long he's going to be with the Stanley Cup and what it would mean to him. And, uh, you know, here's the guy who said uh, the first year he wrote a letter to Mr. Solomon. He didn't like some of the things Mr. Solomon did. So he said, I wrote a letter to him. 
He says, it's two days later, I get a knock on my door and I open, it's Mr. Solomon. And he has the letter and he says, are you so-and-so? And he goes, yeah. He says, well, do you mind if I come in? We'll go over this letter you wrote. So he says, Mr. Solomon, come in. He explained things. He said things. He says, I didn't agree with them all. But that's how this team was put together, too, with Mr. Solomon going out to the fans. That's the- But this guy, Bernie, we got a letter from his family, the kids. What we did was very nice. But he had passed away before they wanted. So, again, you're looking now how many people are going to be around. And we better win it. And we <laughs> won it now. So oh, we made so many people happy. About five minutes left. In the, in the cup final, and, and you're at the Garden, so I doubt you heard Doc Emmerich say this. He said it on our show earlier in the day, our radio show. He was a guest, and then later that night, about five minutes left, and it became clear the Blues were going to win. And he said something along the lines, Bobby, and I'm paraphrasing, that this organization at one time had a handful of employees. It looked like it was going to move, and now this organization, through 52 years of ups and plenty of heartbreaking downs, is going to have its first Stanley Cup. I want to focus on that because that's really been the story for a lot of Blues fans, the heartbreak. But you know the behind the scenes of how close things may have been at times. What was going on behind the scenes? What were the darkest times? The the 80s when it looked like they were going to move? to. Well, our darkest time was when uh, Ralston Perino had the team and they had, t- they had saved the team at the time. And even uh, they had made the announcement it was going to be for five years. And after five years, Ralston was getting out. And that's when uh, the talk was coming in, Saskatoon, and they were getting involved. Well, Ralston just walked away. He shut the doors. My brother Bark and I, we, you know, we were living here. And uh, when they got out of it, uh, Emil Francis went to Hartford. Scotty Bowman was in uh, Buffalo. So uh, we were offered jobs uh, to go to uh, Hartford with Emil offered uh, us a job. And Scotty Bowman offered Barkley and I a chance to go to Buffalo and work with the uh, with Buffalo. Mm-hmm. But the darkest time was there was no owner, nobody. We didn't go to the draft that year. Uh, what were we going to do, Bark and I? And my brother Bark, we believed that somebody would come in and save the hockey. It was too good a hockey time, t- town, St. Louis. Something was going to happen. Somebody would come in and they would save the team. But we waited and waited and it, it went. We didn't go to the draft and... And they had shut down the building. The office or also come in there and shut the doors. But Bark and I would go to the rink every day, uh, see, see what was happening. Just we showed up, and uh, we didn't think for a long time. That's when Harry came in, and then when Harry Ernest came in here, it was uh, thank God people don't know what Ron Caron. What a great job! And when we talk about who saved this franchise and everything, Ron Caron has to be the guy that saved it because when Harry came in, it was nothing. Ron came in here and told Harry, well, you better sign these guys. We got to offer these guys contracts or you're going to lose them. I mean, there's rules that the players have to be offered contracts by the same, the certain dates. I just offered them and Ron knew all the bylaws and the laws. And so he came in here and he offered contracts or put them out there to save a lot of these players would have been able to walk. Yeah, wow. So, and then Ron got the job as a, it wasn't made general manager, but he, Ron was uh, given the job. And it was right near the end of the year, the start of the season. And we still didn't have the job. I know we turned down the job. Scotty Bowman called, and it was earlier that uh, for Bark and I, uh, he had to have an answer. Uh, he's got to fill a position if we can't do it. Yeah. Bark says, you know, you can go, Bob, but I'm not going to go. I'm going to wait this out. And I said, well, I'm going to wait it out with you, Bark. And so we told Scotty that... Uh, you know, we were going to 
waited out. So Scotty, the job that we were going to get one of us was the coach in Rochester, and the job went to my friend Mike Keenan. Got wow. the job. That's who got the job. Uh, I didn't our know job, that. And, and he coached the Rochester Americans before he went on to Philadelphia and all that. So no, we stayed, and it, as it turned out, uh, you say short staff. Uh, Ron Caron was hired. Uh, we had a trainer that we brought in, and the first iron was Chalk Demers, and as the coach, Teddy Hampson was going to be our head scout. Barkley got the job as uh, an assistant coach, and then during training camp, I got a call, and I got hired, and uh, that was our whole staff. People don't know. It was Ron Caron, Barkley, Chalk Demers, myself, and Teddy Hampson. That was scouting staff, management uh, Teddy Hampson got to hire a uh, Patty Janelle as a part-time, but hire Patty Janelle and we had another scout in the East. And, uh, so four, mean, four guys, four guys, yeah, five guys, five guys, six, you know, <laughs> I mean, we worked, I was a pro scout. I was everything. Ron Karan would scout too. And, and how many are there now for that same amount? Well, you look behind the bench now. Yeah, I already see the five or six guys. <laughs> and, see, and then there, and that, that was more. There's more yeah. staff there. Yeah, you, you, you look. Right. But that was it. Ron and I would be at the games or else Ron would take a month off and go scout the juniors. Teddy there, go watch juniors. And I'd take care of the team when he was gone. And then when he was here, I was a pro scout, our farm club. I mean, you worked, uh, I mean, I'd be on the road 20, 20 some days, either scouting or taking care of your farm club. And. And we didn't mind it. I mean, when Harry was there and we had one thing, whoever was our highest paid player, we better get ready to trade him because the next year he had to go, you know, Joey <laughs> Mullen and all this here. But we kept the team together and uh, for a while. And then uh, we, had, we made the playoffs. I mean, when I was behind the director of player development, 20 some years, 26 yeah. years in a row. But we were never going to win. I mean, we knew it there. And Bernie, we had some great hockey teams then, but we didn't have. Harry are at the go that one player or two players you could go out and get and would make a big difference. No, but with the Harry Ornest uh, in here, all the players, you can tell some sit here with Bernie Federico sometime and talk some of the stories that mm -hmm. uh, went on. And I was there and uh, our traveling to get to LA three stops you had to make cause we saved a hundred dollars. <laughs> I mean, it's, but we, the players didn't uh, let that bother them again. It was, I think of St. Louis, when you get on that ice, you went out and you played your, you played hockey and off the ice, you, it was a little different. But when you get on that ice, that's what you learned. You know, you're playing for your teammates, you play for the fans, you play for the owners. And that's the way our team was. I ask this for this historical context on what you guys endured in the, in the eighties in particular, because so many fans, especially younger fans, first off, wouldn't be familiar with that. And even if they were fans in the eighties, they might not know just how bad it did get at that time. Because when people think of the blues and the heartbreak, I think most people think of Iserman, John Casey in 96, or Owen Nolan and Roman Turek, or Sackick in overtime in the Western mm -hmm. Conference Finals. And then, you know, the team getting sick up 3-1 against Vancouver in 2003, you know, Quenville mm -hmm. getting fired and then going to win a bunch of cups. And, and then mm -hmm. all these things that happened, you know, here in the recent eight or nine seasons. And it goes back further than that. And it goes back to the possibility of the franchise leaving. For you watching games... You can't watch the games. No. And even during that time. So let's go back to, for example, I realized the Blues lost on the road at Detroit. Were you with Joe Louis Serena that night for the... Yeah. You were. Yeah, yeah. Were you not watching games then? Were you... In other words, for the people who don't know, you walk around and don't mm. watch unless you know the Blues have the puck uh, on, the other on the other side. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mark Hanna of Evergreen 
wealth strategies. Can't emphasize enough how important it is to have a, a financial advisor, but then it's not just any financial advisor. It's somebody who who knows but cares. Again, plenty of people can know but cares. And Mark Hanna helps everyday people every day get their finances organized. You can call him at 314-889-0503. That's 314-889-0503. Or go online to evergreenstl.com. His name is Mark Hanna. He is with Evergreen Wealth Strategies. And I can tell you from getting to know Mark here over the last year, that this is a first-class person who has your best interests at heart, and just calling him at 314-889-0503 is going to make you feel better and you're on the right track. Mark Hanna, Evergreen Wealth Strategies, 314-889-0503, or go online at evergreenstl.com. You know, I, I used to be able to sit there and watch for a while, and then uh, when it really got bad was the uh, Phoenix. 99? When uh, we won the, uh, what was it? We were down three to one. Right. We came back and won with Terjan scoring in the uh, uh, double overtime, make it one nothing. But it happened there, boy, with the games were close. At, uh, I just got up and everybody's in the box. And I said, I can't take this anymore. And I went out and I started walking. And I would walk and then we'd score a goal. I'd be at a certain spot. We'd score a goal. So I'd come back, sit there, and I'd get, and I'd run, I'd get out and I'd go to that spot. So I walked. I started walking. I couldn't, uh, you know, I just couldn't uh, watch. Uh, and the, the game in uh, Phoenix, you know, we come back from 3-1. We went up there and it was, uh, and it was Grant Fuhrer was our goalie at the time. And Grant Fuhrer was a very good golfer and he was friends with Mickelson. And uh, he would go golfing every day. I mean, the, even the days you played, uh, Grant Fuhrer would go out and golf in the morning. You know, he did that in Edmonton when they won all the Stanley Cups. And with Mickelson, uh, you know, we were there, and he told Mickelson, he says, well, I'll see you for the seventh game. We'll be back here for the seventh game. And he took us in the seventh game there. But <laughs> the, when we won the game that night, I'm walking, and you're walking around, and all the suites are there, so I'm, I'm walking. I'm behind the suites when you go in walking, and I stop, and I'm out behind one of the suites, the doors there, and then I hear the cheering, and it is so loud and the banging on the walls, well, that's my signal, and I know it's the other team that scored because of the noise that was made. So we lost. And that door opens up, and they come running out, and it was Anheuser-Busch had a suite up there, and it was the St. Louis fans that were making the noise and hear that. So now we won the game, won nothing. <laughs> but it's tough for me to watch because as a player, and I tell you, as a player, I mean, you never got nervous. I mean, you went out there and... Uh, you're on the ice, you're playing the game, you come back, you're here to get your breath, you sit down, you're watching the play, you're looking at your guy that you got to change with is going to come off the ice, and so you don't have a chance, right. and then you're back on the ice, you're playing. You're doing something, you're helping the team. But as uh, sitting there now, I sit upstairs and I'm watching, and I'm living and dying with those guys, and they come, why doesn't he do this? That buck has got to go around the boards and so-and-so. But you can't do a thing, and you see, you know, and you can't do nothing. You're helpless. So, and that's why I uh, turn. I watch the national anthem, and I'm there. I'll sit in the box, but I won't watch the game, and I'll peek over, and when it's in the, their end, and we have it, well, I can watch it a little relax, and when they start and they come down the ice, I turn my head, and then I'll, I'll see you later, fellas. And, <laughs> and I walk, and uh, there's certain spots in that arena when the other team scores that I'll be walking around, and I'll see that spot where they scored the goal, so I'll stop ahead. Uh, I won't get there. When I hear a whistle stoppage to play, then it's like everybody look. Then boom, boom. I, I sort of speed walk fast by that spot. And, oh, I mean, it, it, 
it gets so ridiculous. And even the superstitious, you wear the same clothes, you do this here. I mean, and, and you, you know, you do that same thing. The shampoo, I have shampoo. I use the same stuff the same day. And it, it, I have to get a list down. At my age there too, my memory's starting to go. I forget what I wore or I forget. <laughs> and my daughter will tell you that uh, if you go through his suit coats or his sports coats, go in the pocket and you'll find the sheet from the last game. I put in this, the final sheet because if I'm going to wear it, I go in and I look and did we win the game because it's got the sheet. <laughs> did we win the game? And if we lost the game, well, I'll put it away for a while. <laughs> You're done wearing that thing. Oh, and my daughter got the same way. And, and yet... What this city went through, and you're talking to people, oh, I wore the same thing. I mean, the hockey fans that went to the game, I'd say 80% of them are now superstitious that do a su certain things. They wear a certain hat. They'd... But we did it for two months. <laughs> You've been doing it for 20 years. <laughs> well, I used to tell everybody, I says, you know, I says, I really had a hard time when the playoffs come. I could never get a date. And they said, what do you mean? I says, well, you know, I'd never changed my underwear, same socks and all that. I said, so nobody wanted to come near me during the playoffs. So I never got a date during the playoffs. But, and my biggest thing for the superstition, being superstitious, and the boys used to like it, my brother and all that, was Highway 40 in Brentwood. Now it's built up. So now it was right. a two-lane highway, you know, in 67, 69, 68. 68, 69, 70. It was just a two-lane highway, and down there there was just some little buildings, but there was a clock that was over there, and our game started at 8 o'clock. Yeah. So now it was number five. So I used to go down Highway 64, get to Brentwood, and there was that clock over there, and I'd pull the, my car at the side of the road, and the boy, because when it hit 5.55, then I would take off because I was number five. <laughs> so, I mean, the guys would come in there, and they, I'd get to the dress and says, Bob, you were there a little early tonight, weren't you? I mean, they drive by. There's my car. That's five fifty. And you're just sitting there. I pull over. Well, I get there early so I could pull it. I didn't want to miss. And as soon as I hit five fifty-five, then I would take God, off. And I love it. And they did stories. Uh, and Noel Picard, Noel, the greatest man, my partner in defense, funniest. But again, when you talk hockey, as much fun and whatever he did, step on the ice with Noel. He is a different person. I mean, Noel is just. Uh, win teammates uh anything to win step off the ice a lot of fun uh -huh. but they were doing a, st a story on superstitions people that were superstitious noel i used to i had more stories about noel or i used to make them all up there for noel <laughs> and i was the only guy that could do it there because i was his roommate and all that <laughs> bobby can do that nobody else say things about me <laughs> so anyways the story uh, superstitious and i look i said, see that guy over there the big french guy she goes yeah i goes He's really superstitious. She goes, he is? I go, oh, yeah. She says, well, what's his superstition? I says, well, he'll tell you. He says, when he hears a certain song, he knows he's going to have a bad game. She says, oh, yeah. well, what's the name of the song? And I said, the national anthem. <laughs> <laughs> so, but no, it's, and everybody, again, we'll go back that everybody, this, this Stanley Cup, this run that we had, Everybody had something that they were superstitious. Yeah, they were agree with you more. You're right, 80% or maybe even more. Yeah. So the two games stood out to me where I was, John Kelly was in here, I think, last week or two weeks ago, and he said the seventh game against Dallas, he was in agony. He was in agony watching that. I recall saying to my wife after the first overtime, I'm like, I don't know how I can do this. And all I'm doing is sitting on the couch, but I don't know how I can do this. But for you, with 
your superstitions and how much you're emotionally invested, perhaps just as much as anybody in this community, this region, North America, how are you handling Game 7 against Dallas? Well, Game 7 against Dallas, we come out, and I'm more scared because when you have chances— and you don't capitalize. And you don't capitalize. And when you get them earlier, or something they are your power play, and you don't get that, it's going to come back and hurt you. And it's like in every game. And I say, we're having chances. I, say, I don't like this. We'll have all the chances. And how many times does that happen? You get the chances. You miss a breakaway or you hit the goal. And the other team takes the puck and goes down and scores Absolutely. the goal. And you know in overtime, I always say it's going to be a bad goal or something that you're going to get beat by a bad goal or a shot. So as it went on, and and we, I thought, well, we outplayed them. We had some chances, and we didn't. And our goalie made some great saves for us, and he gave us a chance to go down. But when we don't score and all that, that was very scary, very nervous. And when we score the goal, uh, it was there. And, I mean, it's the shot, and here's the shot. Like it, the shot hits the goalpost, and it comes back, and it hits, uh, hits them on the back of the head and drops down. And it's Maroon is standing there just to, to poke it in. So, I mean, there it is. I mean, we miss. He, he misses the net. He hits the goalpost. You go, here it goes again. But it hit the goalpost and it comes back and it hits him on the back of the head, then drops down. So there was our break. <laughs> no, I mean, yeah, you're so nervous because, you know, in the, in playoffs, any, anything or overtime, anything can happen. Were you watching that one? Because that was a stoppage in play, face-off in the Dallas zone. No, so I don't think I you were not. You were not watching. You were but, out in the concourse. You know, I can hear. Oh, and I was in the concourse. I can tell you, I was right by the guard by the elevator <laughs> going in there, too, because I'm talking, and we right there we hear. So you run to I see the celebrate, but the television, you can watch that television. Yeah, I was right there by the, <laughs> where you go up in the elevators. And I've made my trip back there a few times before. <laughs> but... Uh, and, you know, when I'm walking around like this here, too, when I hear that siren go off or that horn go off, and no matter where I am in that rink, if there's a suite there, I just walk right in. I don't care who's in there. And you walk, people will turn what around. What are they going to say to you? Oh, they turn around with a light, right? And I I just look up so because they got the big TVs in there, too, so I can watch the TV. Then I can go right there and watch it on the big screen. And so the people, uh, that's what I keep telling them. I says, I hope I'm back here again. But, you know, it, it sounds stupid, but it's... Uh, it's not I watch and then I go home I can watch the game there's so many replays oh yeah and, absolutely uh, I always say it's at night you watch uh, TV and you get and there you're getting all the good plays you're getting the goals for the goals against and you're getting all the chances so I can sit there and tell you who makes mistakes or who was not good on that goal mm -hmm. or who I mean, just by watching that. Sure. So so there's Game 7 of the Dallas series, and then there's Game 7 with the cup on the line. I mean, this is it. <laughs> and, you know, one of the things I was thinking, Bobby, on the morning of that game is, you know, if it doesn't happen this year, it took it took as long as it did, 49 years to get back from when you were out, mm. out there with your boys in, in 70 against mm. the Bruins. Who knows when we're going to see this? This is such a defining moment for the franchise, these three hours. Mm. What was your emotion like that day and being at the garden when, when before the whole thing started? Well, you know, the way our team and the way we were playing our hockey team this year, guys, uh, we were great on the road. Absolutely. And we come back for the sixth game. That scares me because I'm around the players. You're down in the dressing room. And it was not even in our day what goes on right now. And you see down there. The, the press, there's 300 press, there's cameras, there's TVs from Van, uh, from Sweden, from uh, the, there's Jap Japanese people have the, uh, they're all in there. 
and the press and the people are there and what's going on in this city now. So I look at the players, they coming in here right now, we're at home and you can see the nerves there. Really? You can and, tell. And you can tell because they're being home, but now they open the door in the morning after the morning skate and you're watching, you know, during the season, you got five press, five people from the press come in. They're all local, you know them, and maybe one from another team. They open that door and there's cameras and there's people. There's a hundred and some people going in. You go in that dressing room, you can't move and players are trying to, you know, we have spots for them. They can go to get away, but they have to show up what was on a, so it's like somebody should tell those guys, no, we have a hockey game. Well, and that's the way it is. And, and you, when you play at home, if you watch our hockey team play, uh, because of the fans and all this, we take that extra pass. Like we should shoot, should shoot. Yeah. Uh, we try to make that extra deke or that fancy play because you're playing to the you're put, trying to put on a show, and it doesn't matter what you say, you're going to go out there and you're going to do it because you're fans and all this here. So I was very nervous uh, the sixth game when we got to uh, Boston. I was less nervous. I was more because. I'm watching the fans and I'm looking at Boston. Our guys, our team took them in the day ahead of time, day before. They get in, they have a good meal. Uh, they have rooms set up for them where they got video games, whatever they want, uh, pool tables. I mean, they have rooms set up for these guys. Well, they come in, they have their meal. Now they get together, they're in a room, they can go in and out and there's drinks for them in there. They can have a beer and they go in. Mm -hmm. and So it's not like being in here, running around. And the next day at practice, the bus is in there, so you bust them in for the practice. Yeah, they get to the press, but somebody says, hey, fellas, the bus is leaving now, yeah. the bus is leaving. Yeah. And then you don't have all your players, your big players don't have to be at the morning skate or something. So it's like this here, but there's Boston. They're all around Boston. And so now our team goes out. Now, being fancy on the road, putting a show on the road, uh, you don't do it. Even in our day, you always used to say, you go in the rink, hey, guys, we don't have to put the show on, they do. Nothing fancy. So you watch our team on the road. We put that four check hard. We go to the net. We get a chance to shoot. It's no little extra pass or hold at something like this. We, we're not as fancy on the road. Everything goes to the, and we were successful on the road. And I like to think that's the reason why, because even as a player, I notice when you get home, and I got my buddies in here, I'm going to throw that big check at them, and I'm going to miss or something. Mm. But on the road, no, you don't have to be fancy. And that's always been the saying. Nothing fancy, guys. They're at home. They have to put on the show. So when you go out there, you just uh, put the puck in, four-check hard, put everything to the net, crash the net, do this here, and let them try and uh, let them be fancy. We talked about the opportunities the Blues had against Dallas in Game 7, the number of opportunities Boston had at the outset against the Blues in Game 7, but Bennington was just so good. And then after dominating for about 15 of the first 17 minutes, O'Reilly tips that, that puck past Rask, and that had to just deflate that building. But the mm. one that I think was really the yeah. kick to the midsection was Marshawn with the, the bizarre change at the end of the period and Petrangelo with 7.9 seconds yeah. left, and they go into that room, and Bruce Cassidy has to look at those guys, and we're like, we just dominated these guys, and we're down to well, nothing. And that's what that goal in the last minute all the time you say, that's when you go in that dressing room, you want to score that, that – that's so important, and it's always talked about this last-minute shifts, the last minute. Don't let the team go in there on a high. Uh, you know, yeah, that last minute is so important, and that's what it is. They're going in there, and they're wondering. And uh, it's one nothing if they go in there like this here. And their, their thought is, hey, guys, 
you know, that goalie can't keep it up, right. keep putting the puck to him. It'll go like this here. And so you come out different. Uh, and how good, like our goaltender, he was there. He gave us a chance. And I talked about Glenn Hall. That's the way Glenn Hall played. He gave us a chance. And then we went down and we got our goal. Give us a chance. And it was, uh, I mean, how many games? It was a game that was 2 nothing. We thought it was over. And he made the great saves when it's 2 nothing. Two great saves he made there. Yeah. And then we go down the ice, we make it 3 nothing. Yeah. But because of the goaltenders. And that's why your team plays good, too, because there's so much confidence. Like, we used to look back, and there's Glenn Hall in there. Well, you take your chance to go in there. <laughs> yeah. You know he's going to make that you big save. So you, but when your goalie isn't making the saves, you look, well, you hesitate going in. You yeah. hesitate here. But the goaltender and the big saves, and that's what he, I always say, he gave us the chance to win 15 games by the saves. Given the, and then he won four or five by himself. Mm-hmm. And that's what Glenn Hall used to do. Glenn Hall started off, he says, guys, I'll win you some games by myself. I'll give you the chance to win some other games. But, you know, we got to go out here. And uh, Glenn Hall was the greatest. He First year he had a meeting with the defense. There's Barkley, myself, and, uh, and Noel. Uh, not Bark wasn't there at the time, Noel. And the guys were there. Just the defense. Mm-hmm. We went out to his place. Uh, he wanted to have a meeting. We go out to Gooley's uh, where he's living, and we walk in, and uh, there's a big galvanized tub in there, and it's full of ice and full of beer. So you walk in, and you go over to get a beer, and he goes, no, no, not yet. Wait till me. We're having the meeting first. <laughs> So here's Glenn Hall, the greatest. So you're sitting waiting, and he says, okay. So while the meeting, I call, guys, I just want to let you know, the first shot is mine. I'm very good at the first shot. I'll make that save, that first shot. Second shot, not too good. The rebound, not too good at that second shot. Third shot, he says, I'm terrible. So, fellas, the first shot is mine. I don't like second shots, and I don't like third shots. That's your job. Okay, let's drink. So we sat and drank. <laughs> but it was saying, and, that, and that's what it was. You yeah. know, that's why clear the front of the net. No rebounds. Don't let anybody come in here. He'll make the saves. Yeah. And that's what I say. And that's why our goaltenders here now, and at the start of the year, when your defense there was breakdowns, your goalie's making the first save. The hell, and all that second, but the third and that we're going in because uh, we weren't clearing the front of the net and we weren't knocking yeah. guys down. So I mean, it's. Our years, it doesn't change. The game doesn't change that much. You know, James Carlton of the Carlton State Farm Insurance Agency is my insurance agent. So this is a firsthand endorsement of James Carlton and his staff in Webster Groves. 314-961-4800 or go online at carltoninsurance.net. I think a lot of people just go, okay, well, I've got a guy. I've got a lady. I'm good. I don't really care to talk about insurance. It's something, you know, I'm 25, whatever. And that's fine. I understand. I used to think the same way. And then I go down to my basement on March 30th of 2019 and the basement's flooded and the world changes. It just so happens because my interactions with James have been so positive that my wife and I switched to James Carlton uh, in late 2018. And I'm telling you, if we had not, the odyssey that has been a flooded basement throughout all of this precipitation in St. Louis would have been infinitely more difficult to navigate without somebody as active. And on top of it is James Carlton. His phone number is 314-961-4800, or you can go online at carltoninsurance.net. And even now, he still checks in. You know, I mean, it's it's just a different ball game. And even before we had that, which of course was a substantial issue, um, 
you know, we weren't covered on, on something or I've forgotten to make a payment. It wasn't like it was like some monster payment. It was a small payment. He's like, hey, just so you know, uh, you haven't made this payment. We want to make sure that's taken care of so you're covered. It's just, it's, it's just different. It's different in a much better way. And that's why, you know, if, if you ran into me at a, at a bar or restaurant and said, hey, you know, and I have had it happen. Hey, Tim, who's that insurance agent? People email me. And I go, oh, it's James Carlton. Here, let me include him on the on the email. And I know he's going to be on top of it. I don't think twice about it. It's not like I'm like, oh, yeah, let me tell you about him. And then somebody actually wants to follow up. And I'm like, oh, God, I hope he does okay. The best, the absolute best. And you're talking about your biggest investments. So you want to make sure they're taken care of properly. James Carlton and his staff at Carlton State Farm Insurance Agency will certainly do that. 314-961-4800 or go online at carltoninsurance.net. If your insurance costs a leg and an arm, call James Carlton State Farm. From Glenn Hall all the way to Jordan Bennington in June of 2019 and all points and players in between. That moment finally arrives as the mm-hmm. clock's ticking down in, in Boston. Set the scene for me. You see your St. Louis Blues up and about to lift the cup a minute away. Who are you with? What are you thinking? What are you seeing? What are you feeling? Well, uh, then again, I think they show me walking around in Boston. They had the camera on there too. And Boston was a you little different. You were still different. walking around even when it was four to one? Oh no, it, it's uh, two nothing. Oh, okay. And I'm walking, I mean, <laughs> this is when it's two nothing. And, and that's why I say the save. I'm walking around. It's a little different. I only had a little spots to walk around in Boston. I would walk. But we had three suites up at the top. Uh, the Blues had the suites. And then one of the suites is uh, Pronger, uh, Jackman, Holly, and uh, Kachuk. Okay. So I'm walking by. It's 2 nothing. I'm walking by and the door's open. So I go in there. So I go in and I'm, they're all standing. So I stand behind them to take a look. And I'm watching. And it's in our end. And we don't do something in our end or we don't get the puck off the boards or something. I says, yeah, we got to get the puck. And I'm like this, they're never looking. The save, then we go down and we score the goal to make it 3 nothing. I'm standing there and you can see it on the, there's a film out there. I'm standing there and I'm trying to reach over to see on the ice because I'm behind them all. I'm not even, I can't even. So I'm reaching up and I'm high-fiving. We all are high-fiving and I even turn to the big screen TV that's right there. And I says, now I'll get to watch the goal. So we made it 3 nothing. And I'm upstairs, and I got my pass to go down, and uh, hopefully I'm going to go on the ice. So when it's all over, I'm going to go out with the team. I have the pass to, uh, to get down on the bench at the end of the game and on the ice. So after we score, and about a minute later, now I got to go down on the elevator. I'm going to go down to the basement, down to the bench. So I got the girls and the camera there behind me. So I'm standing there, and people from Boston are by the elevator. It's 3 nothing in there. They're starting to leave. So I'm standing at the elevator and uh, there's cheering goes on. And the people at the elevator goes, well, that's not loud enough. So that's St. Louis that has scored again because it's not loud enough for the be the Bruins to score. So I'm there. I look when I go, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. So again, in fact, those people are looking at me now. And I said, the guy says, those stairs, you know, we're forced toward my age and my shape and, I said, those stairs, uh, do they take it down to the ice level? And they said, yeah. So I says, let's go. So, I mean, it doesn't matter what kind of shape I am. I floated down those stairs. I run down those stairs and I got, and show my pass, and I get to the hallway where the blues are on the bench. I'm right behind the bench standing there, and a few of us there, the, 
I mean, the smile. Yes, yes, we had to want it. But when I got down there, they scored the goal. So you Just immediately like, think, oh, no, here we go. And I, so I say, they scored their goal, made fun. I go, maybe I should have stayed upstairs or something. <laughs> but we stayed there, and when it was all over, again, I say, yeah. You jump in the ice and you see it so often. And I think the first thing I get on the ice, you're going, and there's the guy passing out the hats for the winning team. I said, give me one of those hats. And so you go out and everybody's hugging and all that. And and another great thrill. And this is what the players do to you. And you're standing there and then the players start chanting, give the cup to Bob, give the cup to Bob. So... I'm right over there, so they get the cup, and I get to uh, lift. And I have a bad shoulder. I can't lift. I can, So I grab that cup, and I start. And I said, somebody better grab a hold of this in case <laughs> I drop it. And I, but you held the cup up. You got to kiss the cup. But you're on the ice with the players doing it, so you're part of it. Is that the first time you would ever touch the Stanley Cup? Well, I was in Toronto. I put my hand. You know, you're allowed to touch it, but you can't pick it up. And you can't, you're not supposed to kiss it or put it over your head. Unless. <clears throat> Unless, the only time you can do that is if you, your name is on the cup, you can pick the cup up and put it over the head and do it. But the, then, yeah, you can't. Yeah, so it's the first time. Even my little guys know it. And, uh, you know, we've gone to Toronto and they'll put their hand on it. I don't even think my little guy will put his hand on it. <laughs> uh, he does now because he's part of it. Uh-huh. <laughs> but, no, it's, I mean, it's, again, you're running around and I still think, uh, you know, I still got my beard on. Everybody says, you still got your playoff beard on. I says, yeah. I says, I'm scared that I'm going to wake up and it's going to be a dream and I'll have to start growing the beard again. <laughs> so the beard will come off pretty soon. Will you get your day with, the, I assume you're getting a day with the cup. Well, I'll get it. And I've told him, you know, what I want is it's my brother's wife. We talked about the flag raising or my number going up for my brother and uh, that family like this here and, uh, no, Jimmy Roberts' wife's here, and uh, Noel Picard's wife here. No, you know, there's a lot of players, and their wives are here, the family's here. So I would like to get it one day, and just uh, Jimmy Roberts' daughters and uh, Wickenheiser's uh, family and uh, Noel Picard's family just get the— uh, I'd like to get the cup and have some place where we can all go, where they can bring Jimmy Roberts, will be his grandkids will be there, his daughter and his grandkids, and uh, let them uh, all have that cup and— uh, take their picture with it. That's perfect. Yeah, it would be. Yeah. Oh my yep. God. Yeah. That sounds like that's going to be the perfect way to end this story is you with all those guys that you played yeah, with in well, their life. Yeah. We keep talking like this stuff. I, you know, I tear up. I'm, <laughs> I'm like a Noel Picard. Noel Picard cried at, at the biggest, toughest, <laughs> meanest, but uh, I never seen a guy shed more tears for things. Uh, uh, Noel, his daughter was sang the national anthem. His wife would sing the national anthem and, We'd stand there. His wife would be singing the national anthem. We'd have to get him a towel to wipe the tears away from his eyes, and his daughter would sing. And so, no, very emotional. And uh, but, but I mean, I, I think so many people appreciate hearing you tie all of this together. 2019 to 1967, an appreciation for these guys who have passed, but you played with, and you're going to give them and their families the day with the cup. I mean, that's I didn't know that that was the case, and that's just like the perfect, the perfect way to close this book. Yeah. Well, I have, uh, I'm involved in two little bars in town here right yeah, now. Two Bobby's little bars place. in town. I like that. <laughs> and, uh, you know, the when's the cup coming in? When, and I'd like to bring it because they're great, but if you only have it for a certain time, you know, what is first? And mm-hmm. if I get a long time, uh, we'll parade her around to, uh, Bobby's place. But, uh, 
Oh, it's no, got to go to Bobby's place. It's got to go to Bobby's place. Well, I think so there too. Yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's, I mean, that place I walk in there even right now. I mean, those people are more happy for me than they are for the St. Louis Blues. I think I walk in there and <clears throat> I told them finally, I says, please, when you see my car pull up, don't be putting that glory on. I says, yeah, we'll save that for the end of the game, or maybe we retire it this year. And so, I mean, it's, no, it is very special, and, and this city, yeah. and I didn't lie when I said it would be the biggest parade we ever have, and I'm glad we got to get it, and never thought it would be like this here. But Bernie, you see, Bernie was in here weeks, and we've talked there, too. I said, Bernie, we win this. And I said, there's three generations. I said, I'll be happy for my people that were their season tickets for that they get to be part of it. And your generation that's a little older, I says, and right now, these players, I mean, they're all the young kids, and they're uh, the young ones. That's their generation, so they, they, they've got it. But we need it for our, our generations, yeah. uh, uh, this cup. And, and what has gone here now and. I mean, who would think, like even when we play the ballpark, they put people in the ballpark, our rink. And Bear Jackman and I had to do one of the the road games. We did one, I don't know, I think it was at the end at San Jose. Mm -hmm. They did the first one. So Barrett and I went in there. And the greatest thing was, it was a, uh, it was a family thing. The chickens were good. So we looked at all the kids. People were there were the kids. And, the, and that's the greatest, the young kids that were involved in that. And, you know, again... You got the TVs there, and there's the big TV set on the screen. So I'd sit up with Barrett, and every time there was big noise, we'd go up, and everybody's, I'd turn around, and I'd be looking on the ice. <laughs> Nobody on the ice that's on the screen. So it was, <laughs> I thought they did a great job, what they did there, too. Oh, yeah. I mean, they, they packed then, the building when they're on the road, and then they, they, they packed, what, 20-plus thousand at Bush Stadium on a yeah. rainy, crappy, stormy night. That's right. And then across the road, too, you got the ballpark village, a few yeah, thousand yes, there, and yeah. then every bar was packed. I mean, that city here, it's just, uh, yeah. What went on, and and down at the rink there when they had the game going on the screen, and then at the end of the periods they brought the Zamboni out and they cleaned the ice. And nobody, I mean, that was great too. Oh, no, Bobby, this has been uh, this has been the best. This, I've I've wanted yeah. to have this interview with you ever since it hit zeros in Boston. I'm so happy for you, and I know so many people feel that way. Even though you, I know, are so happy for the fans, so it's mm -hmm. it's reciprocal. But mm -hmm. uh, for so many people, you are the guy that people wanted to see with that Stanley Cup. You got it in Boston, and thank you so much for coming in here and, and telling yeah. your story. Yeah, well, I seen two in Boston. I saw them carry it around, <laughs> but it was a lot better this time when I saw our guys and you're out in the ice, and uh, you know, I, when it happened, we went in Boston. We'll finish here, but uh, I mean, there's so many, uh, and I go back again. It, it's the old people won't know what uh, Noel Picard, they see that picture trip tripping Bobby over mm -hmm. and with the goalie in there and uh, people don't know my brother Bark and Jock Plant had got hurt the first game so they weren't even playing those games they were the injuries but to be out there and win it and yeah I said whatever Noel that pitcher him tripping uh, Bobby or this made up for it <laughs> so, yeah um, I mean how fitting full yeah, circle for yeah. it to come back and take place yeah. right there in Boston Bobby this has been an honor and a pleasure thank you so much no thank you and uh, it's been great and maybe we can do it again I like that <laughs> idea thanks Bobby okay. no, thank you so there it is Bobby Plager on the Tim McKernan show wow wow and wow gangster Pete before I say what my favorite part of the interview was I will yield to you producer gangster Pete here what was your favorite part of the interview with Bobby Plager, and we'll see if we're on the same page.
my favorite part was just the whole thing with his brother and his brother's family and making sure they're involved. That's where he wants to take the cup. Yeah, that was that was it. Yeah, when he's when he was uh, talking about what he was going to do on his day with the cup, and he kind of he kind of I never he never like lost it, but he was he was understandably emotional, and I had no idea. First off, I didn't. I figured he would get a day with the cup. It would seem wrong to me if he didn't. Uh, but then, secondarily, uh, what he was planning on doing with it, and um, and I think that not not that it's surprising, but I think that shows you the kind of guy he is, and how he remembers and wants to pay respects to his teammates who are all gone. Uh, I think the last one, uh, I think I, I think I'm right on this was Jimmy Roberts. And in the Jeremy Rutherford story on The Athletic, which I would recommend reading, by the way, if you haven't. I'm sure some of you haven't, at theathletic.com. And it was written back in April um, about how Jimmy Roberts used to say they did a bet where like, they all put some money in a pot. And then the last one who was going to be alive got to keep the money. And they all said to Bobby and Noel, and I think it was Noel Picard, this isn't fair to you because you two are going to be gone so quick with the way that you live. And then Bobby wound up being the last living one. And here they are, the Blues win the cup, and Bobby gets many of the wives and the families of his past teammates together just so they can set it there and have some drinks and honor his teammates. I mean, that's the best. That's the best. That's the best. Um, I loved it. I, like I said, I, it, was, it was an honor and a privilege. I mean, so many of these are, but that one was an honor and a privilege because when I thought about the Blues winning the Stanley Cup, I thought about Bobby Plager and... And there you are. You got to hear, what, an hour or so of him talking about that experience. But his experience throughout with the Blues and his clear love for the organization, I didn't realize he had an opportunity to leave when it looked like the franchise might be shutting down or moving. And he chose to stay with them. And now he can say he is a Stanley Cup champion with the St. Louis Blues. An honor to do that interview. Thank you to Ryan Kelly, thehomeloanexpert.com. Thank you to Mark Hanna of Evergreen Wealth Strategies. Thank you to James Carlton of the Carlton State Farm Insurance Agency. Thank you to Johnny Landoff Chevrolet, and thank you to Design Air Heating and Cooling at designairservice.com, the number one train dealer in the Midwest. It's hard to stop a train for sponsoring this thing. And thank you to Gangster Pete and Iggy for booking all of these wonderful guests. If you've missed it, I mean, here, if you're in a, in a blues mood with uh, Craig Berube last week, uh, Cam Jansen and Reed Lowe the week before, uh, subscribe to the podcast. They're all there. They're all free. Just support the sponsors. That's all we're asking. It's the Tim McKernan Show on the Inside STL Podcast Network from the HomeLoanExpert.com studios.